Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. Last week we talked about what the Bible says about the afterlife. All right, and so if you missed that, we talked a little bit about what it looks like for believers. You can go back to YouTube. We're live streaming on YouTube. We're live streaming on Facebook. And so there's a couple ways to watch that or just listen to uh, the podcast. We post that through iTunes and through Facebook. It's on Podomatic. Uh, But feel free to download that and listen. I bring that up because I prepared all last week for that topic about what the Bible says about the afterlife. And then uh, as God would have it this week, I officiated a funeral. And so I was uber prepared uh, to to lead that funeral and had a sweet time with the family and had a sweet time with the funeral. It is such a weird time and it is strange to do a a, uh, funeral through a pandemic, but uh, a lot of people showed up, and it was a good time and a sweet time for the family. Now, I will say this, that uh, the family had picked out some very interesting funeral songs. You never know what you're going to get with a funeral and what people's taste, uh, what they like, what type of music, and what, what's going to happen in that realm. And, of course, uh, that's not my job to pick the songs for them. And so uh, they picked some songs. Most of them I did not know because they came from the country music genre. No one likes country, right? I mean, come on. Jack writes some country songs, I know, does some country. Uh, but country, you know, is just not one of my favorite musical genres. However, I was telling my wife, I was like, yeah, this, this funeral, they had this song, this song, this song. And I said, I've never even heard of this song. And she said, oh, that song. And she started busting it out, right? She knew all the lyrics. She knew there was a, like a group participation part to the song. And I'm like, how in the world did you know that song? She's like, oh, yeah, I've heard that song all my life. And so I thought, well, th- I'm going to play just a little snippet of it. It'll, actually, an extended snippet because it would be worth it. But I, I want you to hear this song that I had no idea what it was. Of course, my wife did. Don't judge her for it because I bet some of you know it as well. But it was this song right here. Yeah, a lot of you sang more of that than our musical worship time. I'm a little offended, all right? Yeah, God has got you on that one, all right? You are belting that out. I could see it all over your face, some smiles. It did probably bring back some memories for you. Of course, that is old Hank Williams Jr. Uh, The only song I know that he's done is the Monday Night Football theme song. (laughs) I did not know that one. Uh, Kim, Kim knew it, and a large portion of you knew it. Matt, I've never seen you get into a song like that before, man. You were... Linda, you were bebopping around, Sigmund's in the back. Jason told me this morning, he's like, oh, that's one of my, my favorites. That's a classic, the old family tradition. Well, 
Obviously, uh, this, this is a song about Hank Williams Jr. carrying on his father's tradition. I want to read uh, another part of the lyrics that we didn't play. We'll throw them on the screen. It says, I am very proud of my daddy's name, although his kind of music and mine ain't exactly the same. Stop and think it over. Put yourself in my position. If I get stoned and sing all night long, it's a family tradition. Now, in this series, one of the questions that we received talked about the sins of the father or generational sins. And I think if we just even looked at culture some, we all see whether that's from Hank Williams Sr. and Jr. Okay, I think we have a picture of them. Did you get a pic of them? Nick, yeah, you know them very well. Okay, whether it's them or whether it's Ken Griffey Sr. and Jr., for a large part, children are the product of their parents. All right? Well, our lives can represent the good and bad from our mom and dad. My life reflects the good and bad from my parents and how I, I was raised. There are times that I'm very thankful for how my parents raised me, and I can see that play out in, in my parenting style or just even when I was younger, teenager years to college years to definitely on into the parent-rearing years. That I, There are a lot of characteristics that I can say, thanks, mom and dad. You, you instilled those values into me. There's some good that came from that. But I could also say there are some, uh, in fairness, there's some other sides to that uh, that I could also point to my parents, maybe more on the bad side. For sure, I got my feistiness from my father. And, uh, and, and that definitely, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. But I, I see that in my own life. I see that in my own kids' lives. Uh, I can see them even at their ages of 11 and 9. Some of their traits that they have came from me or Kim. Uh, if Kim tells me anytime one of the kids, they tend to make a mistake or they have some feistiness or Isaac will have a little attitude or something like that. And she'll say, you're just like your daddy. And uh, I'm like, what's up with that? Because she takes credit for all the good stuff. You're just like your mama when you're so sweet. You know, I'm like, okay, sure. Of course, I passed the buck and said, well, if it was something bad they got from me, they got from my father. So it's not my fault. But this question is going to come down to whether we have a choice or not personally. Do you have a choice in, in how you live your life? Do you do what you do because of your genes or, or because you were raised a certain way? Okay, who you are, do you have a choice in, in how you live or is it just locked in? You, you have no choice. That's just the way it's going to be. Are you doomed to repeat the good and bad or is there an opportunity uh, to maximize the best, maximize the good things and avoid the bad things. Now, before we answer that, I think it would be fair to, to consider in life, there are kids that seem to start on third base. They, they have all the opportunities and advantages placed in front of them. They get a head start in life and then they turn out poorly. I think we could probably think of some examples. And we all know that there are kids that start behind the eight ball. They start with a life full of trouble in a very rough and tough situation, but then they turn out great. Okay, the reality is even if you have messed up parents, you are not doomed and destined for failure. You're not. It, that does not write your future in ink. God can change your family tree starting with you. The cycle of sin and dysfunction can be broken. I really believe that. You can live in a brand new way. You don't have to go down any negative path that was shown you even at an early age. I want to give you an example in Scripture. If you have a Bible, I'm going to give you a little background. But go to Genesis chapter 27. We're going to read about 
Jacob. By the way, we have a Jacob in our midst, and it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Jacob. Yeah, I like that. Everyone say happy birthday on three. One, two, three. Online, say happy birthday, Jacob. Type it out with your magical fingers. I don't know why I did that, but a little background on Jacob. Uh, he came up. He came from a messed up family. Now I'm talking about this Jacob. Now let me talk about the Jacob of Scripture. <laughs> I love it. Jacob too came from a messed up family. The Bible, Jacob. Now, his literal name means deceiver, but deceiving wasn't just in his DNA. He learned some of that from watching his family. Now, Abraham with his grandfather. And in Genesis chapter 12, we're not going to go to it, but there's this famine, and Abraham leaves his land to go to Egypt. And in that process, there's a Pharaoh, there's a king, and this is one of those passages where you read, if you read the one-year Bible, or you're just going through Genesis, and it's just, it almost makes you cringe. But he ends up lying about his wife and tells the Pharaoh, like, no, no, this isn't my wife, this is my sister. And he lies to protect himself. He's afraid for his own life that some harm is going to come his way because she is gorgeous, and he's afraid that they're going to do something to him to get her. And he's like, no, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Now, the weird thing is, it is half true. Uh, she's a half sister, um, and, and we don't have time to go into that. Uh, if you're from Arkansas, you already get it. But there's this family relation that Abraham has with her, but he lies about the fact that they're married, and he does that to cover up his, uh, his fear. He doesn't want something bad to happen to himself. Now, in Genesis 20, you go even further from 12 to 20, and you see Abraham is in the same situation with a different king, and he makes the same choice. He lies again. So twice, Abraham, which was Abram at the time, he lies about his wife, and uh, I don't know how the story was passed on, maybe to his family, if it was taught or, or just uh, heard about. But later, a same situation comes up with Abraham's kid, Isaac. Isaac, in Genesis chapter 26, he lies about his wife. Now, we've got Abraham, we've got Isaac, all kind of doing the same sin, lying about, now, I guess, one good part of their uh, family tree was that they had great wives, right? But they keep lying to protect themselves. They're afraid some sort of harm or damage would come to themselves. And so they lie. No, no, no. She's not my wife. Now, where did Isaac learn this? Probably from his daddy, right? Either hearing the story from his daddy or watching his daddy. It was how he was raised. Well, Isaac then has Jacob. We're getting to Jacob. Now, he's probably heard the stories. He's probably seen lies in action. And it's pretty easy for him to be a liar, I'm sure he learned a lot of deceptive ways from his daddy and granddaddy, but it wasn't just from his dad's side. Uh, his mom's side had plenty of uh, liars, too. There's a lot of deception going around. Rebecca, the mom, uh, her brother Laban is a deceiver. He lies. He tells uh, Jacob much later that this is the daughter you can marry, but he lies about it, and he changes his wages. There's just a lot of deception in this whole family tree. A lot of problems. Jacob experienced a lot of it, but we're going to see one of these times, specifically in Genesis chapter 27, 1, where there's this pattern of deception. There's this pattern of trickery. There's this pattern of lying. Genesis 27, verse 1. One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau. This is the twin of Jacob, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied. I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. So Isaac's very close to death. He can't see 
Okay, he's basically blind at this point, and he tells Esau, hey, I'm hungry. I want you to go kill something for me. I want you to prepare my, my favorite dish. I'm going to be happy, and my soul is going to be happy, and I'm going to bless you. Now, this is consistent with the culture uh, for the firstborn to receive this blessing, but it was inconsistent with what God had revealed to Rebecca. That was not God's plan. And so Rebecca thinks, I- I'm going to help God out here, okay? She knows that Jacob is supposed to be the one to lead the family clan. And so she has overheard this story, and she comes up with this idea, verse 5. But Rebecca overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your favorite, your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him. And then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out, got the young goats for his mother. Rebecca took them and prepared a delicious meal. Guys, she was a great cook too. Just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. I'm getting hungry, right? I mean, this sounds, I'm not a big lamb fan, but uh, I'm, uh, the, the bread, and I'm just pretending I'm at Texas State Brazil. This sounds awesome, all right? Now, what's going on here? Mom knows, again, what dad's about to do. And this is not what she understands God's will to be. And so she's going to help God out in her mind. Jacob senses the error of this way. All right. He says, I'm going to be tricking my father. All right. He has an opportunity to do what's right. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 18. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Remember, Isaac is... Nearly blind, completely blind. Verse 19, Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here is a wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, put it in my path, Jacob replied. That's interesting that he says the Lord, your God. At this point, I don't think Jacob really has this relationship with God yet. And that's very important that he calls him your God to his father. Verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. Verse 24. But are you really my son Esau? He asked. So here's another moment here that Jacob could come clean. Isaac, who's not 100% convinced, even near death, is still a little bit like, wait, this doesn't add up. But in a moment of trust, says, are you really my son Esau? Now, Jacob has got all this deception in his past, all these lies from Abraham to Isaac. None of these people were perfect, obviously. Now, God used these people for great good, 
but there's been a, a pattern of trickery to this point. All that kind of welled up, but, but Jacob still had a choice to stop it in this moment. But this is what he says. Yes, I am. Jacob replied. He said, no, nah, I'm Esau. Let's, we're going to follow this all the way through, which was just a flat-out lie. And there's been a history of liars in the family. And, and sadly, the lying will even continue on from here. One day, Jacob's sons are going to trick him when they say, yeah, Joseph was killed. And not tell him that they sold him into slavery. And there, there's just a history and pattern of lying. So I want to... That's actually from one generation to the fourth. All the way when we get to the story of Joseph and them lying to their dad about him. There's this generational sin. I want to define generational sin. Generational sin is an attitude. It is an action. It's a disposition handed down from generation to the next by nature or nurture. Okay, the nature part could, could be... Uh, an addictive personality or being bent towards being an alcoholic. Okay, you don't have to, but the chances increase through nature. And then nurture would be you learn a specific way to respond or a specific way to act by seeing a behavior over and over again in the authority figures in your life, whether that's temper, uh, whether that's racism, whether that's just flat-out anger. It was the environment you lived in, and you saw it over and over again. Then it's your turn to choose how you're going to handle life, and you do the same thing. Okay, that's a generational sin. Now, this idea often comes from Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments. Let me read Exodus 24. You must not make for yourselves an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. What God is saying is what happens in one generation can affect the next generation. The sins of the father in that way can be visited on the children and their children's children and their children's children's children. Whether that's abandonment, whether that's pride or promiscuity, whether that's abuse, whether it's violence, whether it's insecurity, whether it's anger, whether it's control issues, emotional issues, greed, idolatry, just to name a few. What you've seen and observed and what you've experienced and what you grew up with can become a way of life for you. It can impact you in a negative way. Now, does that mean you're responsible for your parents' sin? Mm -mm. Not at all. You aren't responsible for your parents' sin. You don't have the guilt put upon you for the action of someone else. If they sin, they are guilty before God on their own. Deuteronomy 24, 16. Parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor children for the sins of their parents. Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. See, what Scripture teaches us, and the pattern that we see is that the soul that sins is the one who's held guilty, the one who committed the act. The one who sinned is the one who's guilty. Guilt of the sin is on the sinner, the one who sinned. Okay, you are not held accountable before God for your parents' sin, but this last part is key, but you can experience the consequences of their sin. For example, Israel comes up upon the promised land. And say, let's scout it out and see what kind of land we're talking about. You remember how many spies they sent out 
say it. Twelve. Twelve of them go out. And they see these huge people and this amazing fruit, milk and honey. And they're like, wow, this land is awesome. But boy, these people will tear us limb to limb. This is not a good move for us. We're going to die in battle there. We shouldn't go. They come back. The Israelites are like, what would you see? What would you find out? Like, no, 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 no. This ain't for us. That's scary. Two of them were like, no, let's go. We got this. God's for us. This is our land he has given us. Let's go. Ten of them are like, no, 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 no. And the ten get the rest of the people to say, wait, this, this is too scary for us. This isn't what we're supposed to do. Just side note, okay, the will of God shouldn't be determined by popular vote. Just because the majority of the people say, well, do this instead of what God says, that doesn't make it right. But these people fell into this and God said, no, listen, you blew it. If you would have just had your faith over your fear, we you would have taken that land. And so you got a punishment, you got a consequence, you're going to wander for 40 years. And, and that generation who rejected my, uh, their faith and chose fear over me and didn't go into the promised land, you're not going to enter that promised land except the two, Joshua and Caleb, that said, let's go. You're going to get to go in. Now, there were kids in that group. Those kids didn't have a vote. They weren't able to put their two cents in about what they should do. But guess what? They face the consequences of their parents' choice. It's a generational sin. That generation screwed up. And because of that, there were some consequences that the entire group faced. Those that didn't even make that choice. The kids of those that made the choice. Now, was there guilt on them? No. They still had a choice to choose faith over fear and to trust God, even in the moment, even though they started behind the eight ball. They didn't start on third. They were in the dugout. You tracking with me? There were still consequences to be faced. The truth is sin isn't just a personal thing. And I've heard people say this over and over again. Well, I'm going to divorce, get a divorce, and that's, only, that's just me. I'm going to uh, face those consequences. No, listen, those consequences are going to be faced by the whole family. There is always collateral damage when it comes to sin. Divorce, abandonment, whatever it is, it's going to impact multiple people. And when a sin is practiced over and over again, it will become more acceptable to your kids. And even though they think it's more acceptable, it's still going to be a sin. But there's going to be a choice to make. Do I enter into that sin or not? And so whether it's nature or whether it's nurture, you, if you choose that same sin, there's fallout because of generational sin. You're choosing to rebel against God. You can't blame your parents. Say, well, it's their fault. No, you're the one that still had the choice. You acted upon that behavior that you saw. Okay? You have responsibility. You can try and say, it's not my fault. But the guilt of your sin and the choices of your actions lay squarely at your own feet. Because ultimately, you will be the one who decides. And yes, maybe you've observed it. And yes, maybe you grew up in that environment. And yes, maybe you've seen it time and time again. But it's on you to make the right choice. Ezekiel 18.4 says, For all people are mine to judge, both parents and children alike. And this is my rule. The person who sins is the one who will die. And the Bible talks about the wages of sin is death. There is a spiritual death that takes place when we sin, all of us. Okay, no matter what you saw and observed growing up, if you choose to repeat the sinful behavior, you're going to stand guilty before God. And maybe you feel the weight of this. 
maybe you realize, man, I've just been excusing my own choices thinking it's, it's my parents' fault or it's not my fault. It's all I've ever known. Well, are you doomed to stay that way? Are your children and grandchildren destined for the same dysfunction? No, absolutely not. Here's the good news. Generational sin can be broken. I think we see this in Jacob's song. Jacob chose his own sin, and it came with a cost, a decade on the run. He missed his parents' death. His life was negatively impacted by his choices. But then Jacob, in this whole process of being transformed, he has an encounter with God. I want you to look at Genesis 28. If you're still in Genesis, go to Genesis 28, verse 10. There's this encounter that Jacob has with God that ends up changing the trajectory of his life. Genesis 28, 10. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp, and he stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. Can you imagine sleeping with a stone? Gosh, some of these hotels have pillows like stones. I couldn't do it. Thankful for pillows. God, thank you for pillows. Verse 12, as he slept... He dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. It's interesting we're seeing the generations play out. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants, future generations. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until, you have finished, until I finish giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Now, what did God ask Jacob to do? Did he give him a list of things to do? No. He didn't really ask him to do anything. He just said, this is who I am. And you got to believe that. Now, earlier, Jacob said to his daddy, your Lord well, God shows up and says, I am the God of your grandfather. I am the God of your father. And what I promise them, I promise you. I'm going to give you this land. In essence, God's saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to let you down. God is saying, hey, Jacob, you're going to have to trust me and know that I've been with your family. I'll be with you. You've got to believe in me. You have to trust in me. And Jacob wakes up from this encounter, this dream, this vision and says, I want that. And really, over the next few years, he learns how to trust God. He says yes to the plan of God, and this changes the direction of his life, and ultimately, it helps his family too. And what happened to him to bring about this change is what needs to happen to you. If your family's messed up, there's problems, there's junk, there's heartache, there's heartbreak. Hope and healing isn't ultimately in counseling and books, and God can use those things but it cannot be apart from an encounter with God. It has to come through this meeting with God, this encountering with God, hearing him and trusting him and believing in what he says to you. You say, what does he say? I'll tell you what he says. He says he is the God who loves you, that has pursued you, that has made a way for you, that he has come and he has paid the price and penalty of sin. 
He died your death, my death. God is saying, I demonstrated my love for you, that I gave my one and only son. And he says, now I want you to believe in me and trust in me so that I will be your father. See, that's where the family tree is changed. Because you have a new daddy, a new father. And that's what God wants to say to you in this encounter even now. And it doesn't have to be through a dream. It can be through his word. For example, Romans 8, 15 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful, slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Everyone say children. One, two, three. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible teaches us that we have been adopted and to the family of God as one of his own children, his own kids. He says he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, like daddy. We call him father. For his spirit joins with our spirits to affirm that we are God's children. See, when you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to God, God becomes your father. Listen, we're, all, we're not all God's children. This is a soapbox thing. You'll hear me say that. And people will, will justify their sin and justify that there's just one way or that, that excuse me, that there's, there's a God who has made multiple ways to him. We're just all God's children. No. We're, we're all made in his image. Absolutely. 100%. Every human being made in the likeness of God. But we're not all, all his children. Unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Then you are adopted into the family of God. And then Jesus in the New Testament says, call him daddy. Jesus even taught us to pray, our father who art in heaven. And here in Romans 8, 15, we see Abba, father, daddy. We have a very intimate and personal relationship with God as our father. And it's a powerful thing to have God as your daddy. Because my daddy can beat up your daddy. You ever use that phrase? I know Isaac uses it all the time. He's got to. I mean, there's no doubt. He probably says it twice a day. My daddy can beat up your daddy. Okay, never mind. Amen, Isaac? <laughs> He's like, no, I don't say that at all. That's all right. But when we realize that God is our father, there is freedom. There's a changed life. There is power. And yeah, we got to walk it out. And it's a process of yielding our old ways to God. But now we can meet the deception of the father of all lies, Satan, we can meet his deception with the truth of God. See, one of the most freeing aspects of being a follower of Christ, of being a Christian, is now that God is your father. You are in Christ. You are a co-heir with Jesus. God is our daddy. We have a new nature. We've been made in, into a, a new person. We have new freedom. Satan has no authority over you. He can't make you do a thing. That's what Romans 6 is all about. You're free because of what Jesus has done. I want you to hold on to these two verses. Romans 6, 6, and 7. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. You, you aren't a slave to Listen, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. When you don't have Jesus, you're a slave to sin. I don't know why we expect people that don't have Jesus to act like they got Jesus. They're not going to act like they got Jesus. They can't because they're a slave to sin. I, I, I say this phrase, lost people act lost. You get so offended at that person and they're just being who they are, lost. 
They don't have a relationship with Jesus. But I'm telling you, if you aren't lost, you found, you have been adopted into the family of God. You have his power. You don't act lost. We're no longer a slave to sin. Look at verse 7. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Stand in it. Hey, brother, sister in Christ, stand in it. Sin doesn't have to own you. Sin doesn't have power over you. You have victory through the blood of Jesus. Live it. Know it. Tell the enemy, you have no authority over me. I will not buy into your lies and deceptions anymore. Live victoriously. Because when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. That's what Jesus said. You are free. There's a power in you because the Spirit of God is in you. Now, sin will try to rear its ugly head, no doubt. In your journey, the enemy will try to bring up your past. Those old patterns and old ways will want to creep back in. But remember who you are in Jesus. That's why I'm telling you today. Remember who you are. Stand in who you are as a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Confess those old habits and call them what they are, their sin. But know your sin has been forgiven, the totality of sin. You are a forgiven daughter. You're a forgiven son of the one true God. Renounce any permission that you've given Satan over your life. Renounce it. Don't build up a stronghold of sin by, by feeling you're weak. Renounce it and say, God, break down any strongholds of sin in my life and replace them with strongholds of righteousness. Satan has no authority in your life. Listen, the org chart says God's at the top. He's the one who's the boss. He's the one that's in control. You're not bound by the enemy's ways. Walk in the freedom you have today. You can choose wisely. You can even live your life in such a way that your kids get to start at third base with every opportunity ahead of them. Because here's what scripture also teaches us. General, generational sin, those consequences, generational sin has consequences that are bad, but all generational actions don't have to be bad in their consequences. There actually can be good consequences. They can be positive. Back in Exodus 20, I stopped short of one verse. I did that on purpose. I wanna read verse five and verse six again. Exodus chapter 20. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. That stinks. I'm, let me just be frank. It sucks. That, that stinks, that generational sin. And the consequences can be felt in a negative way to the third, fourth generation. But boy, oh boy, look at verse six. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations. On those who love me and obey my commands. Listen, you can set up your, your family and the, your family's family and your family's family, family and your family's family, 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 and on and on and on in a very positive way. You understand? To a thousand generation, you can bless your family if you choose today and say, I'm gonna live in the power that Jesus gave me. I'm all in with Jesus. I renounce the enemy's ways. Rebuke his lies, the father of all lies. That's what scripture says, by the way. And I'm gonna focus on the father of all truth and believe in him. 
Listen, your parents have had a huge impact upon you, but it's now your turn to have a huge impact upon the next generation. You can choose the future for your family. And listen, they're going to have to walk in it. But boy, it's going to be easier if you start living it out now. And let him lavish upon his love upon your generation, next generation, next generation, and on and on and on. Father God, I pray that for us today. That we would choose faith over fear. Freedom over being a captive. Truth over lies. A thousand generations over to the fourth generation. So Father, help us to remember. Set it upon the forefront of our minds who we are in Jesus. A child of the King. And I pray if there's anyone in this room that, or listening via YouTube, podcast, Facebook, whatever it is, if they're not a believer, they would put their faith and trust in you now and be adopted into your family. And let me just pause this prayer. No one looking around. If you are listening in whatever capacity, in this gym, online, whatever it is, on your phone, computer, TV, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, would you do so? Would you surrender today? Would you just confess, yeah, I've messed up. I can't lie. I've lied before. I'm not going to be, I'm going to be honest now. I've messed up. I've sinned. But I'm believing. I'm believing in Jesus. That he's the son of God. That he died for me. He rose again. And that he can forgive me of my sin. And so Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. Every one of them. Past, present, and future. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Take over. Be my boss. I surrender to you. Be my master, my savior. I'm in. And the best way that I know how, I commit to follow you. If you prayed that prayer here in this room, I want you to let us know. We have cards in the back. You can fill it out, put it in a basket. You can tell me. We want to help minister to you to be all that you can be in Jesus. You're a baby in Christ. If you're online, you've got to let us know. Message us. Email us. Go to our website everyday.church, click on the contact. There's all kinds of ways to get a hold of us. YouTube comment, Facebook comment, messages, whatever it is, let us know. Now, if you're a believer in here, I'm gonna finish my prayer for you. Father, for those that are my brothers and sisters, I pray for a renewed strength, a restoration of the joy of their salvation, and a resolve to stand firm in you empower us, equip us, Holy Spirit, fill us to be all that we were meant to be, that you created us to be, and help us leave a positive impact upon generation after generation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.